Good evening. Welcome. Daflamid Zayin and as well Daflamid Chesim Ralav. Let's get started. Yesterday we learned a mission in the middle of Lamid Vavamid Bez that spoke about a number of issues that were Yisurei Derabanan on Shabbos and Yom Tov. And they weren't all categorical Yisurei Derabanan. Some of them were Rishus. They were, um, they were mitzvos that one can do, but you're not obligated to do. And also some formal proper mitzvos that you just simply cannot do. And the Gemara is going to continue detailing some of those. We're on the top of Lamid Zayin Amid Aleph, and we are on the top line. One cannot do chalitza and one cannot do yibum. So it says the Gemara, It's a mitzvah deraisa. It's a pasuk in Chumash. There pesukim in Chumash. Says the Gemara, Where there's a sibling older than you. This we'll learn about. This is our next major Masechas, A lot of the smaller ones for the next few months. And then we'll jump into the larger, terrifying uh, Masechas. Uh, I've never learned it. I don't know how terrifying it is, but everybody says you should be terrified. Hey, that, so that Thank you, David. Thank you very much. So that's what the Gemara says: is that uh, we're talking about a case scenario where you're not the where you're not the oldest brother, and under those circumstances, a mitzvah begadoliyabim, and therefore doesn't apply to you. The kulu time amai. Why are there restrictions on all of these? After all, some of these are mitzvos. Mitzvos are wonderful things. Why would we not allow one to do these mitzvos on Shabbos? Who cares if it's Shabbos? Why can't you do these mitzvos? It's very. So the Gemara gives a, a blanket answer. Fourth line: We're afraid that somebody may. Uh, may come to write. Uh, just Rashi paints a little bit of a richer picture here. The fourth line of Rashi, <laughs> we're concerned about in regards to a psak din, and that maybe someone will write down a psak din, and that you might write down a star erisin for someone who's getting married, all of the various scenarios that may lead one to write. Those are the concerns that we have. And that brings us to the two dots on the fourth line. We said that there's a case scenario in the Mishnah of something that is taqa mitzvah that you're not allowed to do on Shabbos or Yom Tov, these are all various forms of making um, financial or property commitments to the Beis HaMikdash. This you can't do either. Why not? There we're concerned about the overarching world of Mekah Memkar. Um, and uh, that is why that is not allowed. I should have mentioned a little earlier in the previous uh, section of the Gemara with that Rashi, that the reason why we don't allow for weddings to take place is because of the writing. Theoretically speaking, if a person were to get married on Shabbos, is it chal? The answer is yes, of course. It's a rabbinic injunction that you should not, but the mechanics of getting married actually work. And of course, we've all heard the stories of the kids. Uh, it's happened. I've shared the story before, the Harat Mikudesh Shasli cases where somebody had something else, an item, all those kinds of things happen. But we typically do avoid them because of Mekah Umemkar. A lot of Shilas in Halacha, but let's say you have a, the, the non from cousin and they're getting married on Saturday afternoon. Are you allowed to partake in it? Is it Marasayan? Oh, God, good Shilas to ask. Five lines down, the Gemara says, in regards to the cases of Dolom Magbi and Trumos and Maestros, the Mishnah says you're not allowed to, to do Trumos and Maestros on Shabbos and Yom Tov. That we know. Pshita. So says the Gemara, Machudash answer, Tani Rav Yosef, Lo Nitzrocha Ela Litnam Lekoin Bobayom. We're talking about doing so on the day of, where it doesn't really appear, Rashi highlights, it's not Nikar that you're actually doing any separations. You're not actually solving the problem of Tevel. You're just giving food to a coin. It's a little hard to tell exactly what you're doing. And that's what the Gemara was coming to exclude, that that's not allowed. We're talking about food that was Tevel from yesterday. If there is a food that became Tevel today, Kigon, for example, Isa, today, it's Yantav. You want to make Chala today. So that the Gemara says you're allowed to do. And, and when does it become Tevel? Only when it becomes dough. So the Mephorshim here explain as follows. 
It's correct that normally we would require all of the tithing to be done prior to the holiday. However, here it's Yom Tov, and on Yom Tov you're allowed to have fresh bread, and because you're allowed to have fresh bread, you can make fresh bread, and therefore you can make dough, and only then does it become tevil, and then you can give that to the Kohen, and therefore the Gemara says, that is considered to be something that you are allowed to separate and then give to the Kohen. So then the Gemara asks uh, the following question, you know, when we spoke about this area in Halacha, that there are things that are a rishus, like someone sitting, like sitting in a bezdin, which we said that that's a rishus. Isn't that also an iser derabanan of gzeir shemayichtov? And not only that, vahani mishum mitzvah ika mishum shvus leka. Even the ones that are mitzvos, but they have formally suri derabanan attached to them. Why did the Mishnah refer to them in isolation? This is a mitzvah. This is a rishus. They're not. They're really. They have a, a dual personality to them. They're a mitzvah and an iser derabanan on Shabbos. So why do, why do we have this uh, strange, isolated formulation of this is a mitzvah and this is a rishos? The Gemara is just coming to tell you uh, from the obvious to the less obvious. I don't need you to tell me that a shvos and iser derabanan, a rabbinic injunction, is not allowed. That's for sure. But even a rabbinic injunction on that which is an, uh, a mitzvah, but uh, it's like a... It's like a mitzvah kiyumis. You don't have to do it, but you can do it, right? So there, why, even there, we would have a rabbinic injunction. And then the next level, third of the way down, three lines before the wide lines, I don't need you to tell me I don't need you to tell me about a case where there's a rabbinic injunction on a rishos. Like again, that case of sitting in Bezdin to Aser, that's for sure true. Even if there's an Isser Derabanan that accompanies a mitzvah, Nami Aser, that's also not allowed. This, this is really more about semantics, about how we refer to it. But in short, the uh, types of things that our Mishnah is restricting do have that duality to them, that they are possibly even a mitzvah. But afal pikein, they are not allowed. This also gets into some of the, the blurry lines of halacha about wearing tefillin. Um, you know, it's a mitzvah to wear tefillin, but we don't wear them on cholamoid. So that's a huge shilom poskim, as we're all familiar with. Rabbi Friedman uh, is very makbid that those who don't have a formal minhag should put on tefillin without a bracha. And that's my minhag, we do that. We put, it's very hard. You have to like tell yourself, don't make a bracha, don't make a bracha, don't make a bracha, because we're like the, the muscle memory. Uh, but that is uh, uh, the ideal, uh, preferably if possible. If one has a specific masora, then that's understandable. But we could understand from the world of tefillin and cholamoid, how sometimes we have a mitzvah that intersects with a holiday that we therefore have these challenges. And the Gemara stated a, um, a number of blot ago, if you find your tefillin outdoors on Shabbos, you can wear them in zug zug, you can wear them in one pair at a time to bring them back in, all of that is permissible. First of the very, of last of the very short lines, kol elu yom tov amru, this is the end of the Mishnah. And the Gemara here, uh, according to the Hagos Vitzionim, adds in the line that's missing from the quote of our Mishnah. We see within the two dots, all it says is kol elu yom tov amru, really what it should have Quoted as the last line of the Mishnah that we have on Lamed Vav Beis of Ein Ben Shabbos Liyom Tov Ela Ochel Nefesh Bilvad, and the Gemara says there's no difference. That's what the Mishnah says that there's no difference between Shabbos and Yom Tov except for Ochel Nefesh. But the Gemara has a very hard time with that. Ruminhu, we have other sources in Halacha that are not that way. Look no further than the very title of our parak. It's Parak Mishilin. Ruminhu, we have a question um, against our Mishnah from a Mishnah in, in, in the beginning of this parak. <clears throat> 
What did we learn? We see that one is allowed to lower fruit that is about to get wet on the roof. You're drying out grains, whatever it is on the roof. You're drying it out. I'm afraid that it's going to get wet. The storm is coming. So we said on Yom Tov, you're allowed to lower it, but on Shabbos, you're not. But you just said that there's no difference between Shabbos and Yom Tov with the exception of Nefesh. So, But the Mishnah at the beginning of Perak Mashilin shows that that's not true. So now we have two worlds. We have a strict world and a more lenient world. The strict world says, done. That which is not allowed on Yom Tov is not allowed on Shabbos, done. And the other side says, no, no, you're allowed to lower fruits on Yom Tov, but not on Shabbos. That's machloka. That's a steer, I should say. How do we solve that problem? So we'll see two different approaches in the Gemara. Here's approach number one. Amar of Yosef, of Yosef, third century, Amar Lokasha. This is not a problem. This is just a machloka. in the Tanoim. Ha, Rabbi Eliezer. Ha, Rabbi Yehoshua. And we'll see. We know that we have our Mishnah, which is strict, and we have the Mishnah in Mishilin, the, in the beginning of the parak, which is lenient. So let's see how this plays out. Titania, halfway down, Osove Espinosha Nafalabor. Osove Espino Losishatu Biomachat. It's a Pasik in Chumash. The halacha is that one is not allowed to shech um, a, um, a, a, an animal and its child in the same day. It's Osove Espino Losishatu Biomachat. So this is sometimes hard to control when you're shechting many, many, many animals at once. You have to know if you are the owner of animals, you have to know which animals are, are parents and children. Yeah, you got to color code them. I don't know, whatever. You got to put names on them, Lucy and Lucy's child. You have to know because you're not allowed to shech them all together. So that's key to understanding this Gemara. So what's the Gemara say? The Gemara says in this brisa that Osove uh, Espino, the parent and the child, they both fell into a pit on Yom Tov. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, how do we solve this problem? It's Yom Tov. So you're allowed to take out one of them and then you can shecht it. The problem is that because you shechted this first animal that you, you took out, you cannot shech the next animal. So what does Rabbi Eliezer say you do with the next animal? So Rabbi Eliezer says, You feed the animal where it is. You give it enough food to make sure it can last the course of Yom Tov. So that the animal should not die. That's the strict version of Rabbi Eliezer. However, Rabbi Yoshua is more lenient in this case where the mother and child uh, animals fall into the pit. Rabbi Yoshua, you take out one animal in your mind it's a ha'arama you're gonna you're gonna be trying to pull a little a little a loophole here so it says the gemara you bring out the first one uh, with on the condition to shecht it and then and you don't shecht it and then the remaining animal and then you can go and take out the second animal and so the ha'arama is the loophole that you're using here or as the art school refers to it as subterfuge what you're using over here is that uh, I'm going to take out the first animal. Um, you know what? I, I, now that I take it out, I don't want to shecht it. Okay, fine. Let me take out the second animal and see what it looks like. So what we're doing is we're employing the, uh, the logic of I might shecht this animal. And this is the lenient side where we allow for the loopholes. And what the Gemara is assuming with this brysa is that it matches up to our two sources as follows. Our Mishnah on Lamed Vav Amid Beis, which is pretty categorical of the Ein Bain. There's no differences at all between Shabbos and Yom Tov. That's like the sheet of Rabbi Eliezer, we don't make any leniencies for financial loss. So the animal, uh, we, we just don't make any, we're not using loopholes. We're staying the way things are. That's our mission. Masha'in came the sheet of Rabbi Yoshua, which is more flexible, does look at financial loss. We are afraid to some degree that the animal might die. And therefore, because we're concerned about financial loss, that's the mission in the beginning of Parak Mashilin, where we do allow for 
the lowering of fruits that are on the roof so that they don't get ruined. And that is how the Gemara pairs up these two sources, our Mishnah and the Mishnah at the beginning of the Perek, um, in accordance with the Shittas of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yosho in regards to the case of Osoba Espino. But the Gemara doesn't like this. Amr Abaye. Abaye was a Talmud, as we know, of Rabbi Yosef, fourth century Amora. And he says, Mimai, how do you know that you can compare the Bryce of Osova Espino to our conflicting uh, sources in the Tanaim of our Mishnah here and the Mishnah at the beginning of the Perak? Dilma, perhaps. Ad Khan, maybe here in the case of Osova Espino, where the mother and child fall into the pit together, Loka Amar Eliezer Hasam, Parnasa. Well, there in the case of the animals that had fallen into the pit, well, yes, you can take one out and shecht it, that's no problem. But, but the only reason why, he, why he's saying that you're not allowed to do anything for financial loss is because you could feed the animal, no problem at all. Aval, hacha, in regards to the food that's on the roof, the low afshar beparnasa, there's no way to protect that. Well, you, you can't, there's no feeding of food. You just have to take it off the roof. Lo, he wouldn't have been, uh, he wouldn't have been as strict. So we don't necessarily have a good core, a good answer from Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua to the world of our Mishnah and the Mishnah at the beginning of the parak. And a second reason as to why this uh, case of Osova Espino is not such a good argument is as follows. Two-thirds of the way down, halfway through the wide lines. Inami, the only time Rabbi Yoshua was lenient in the case of Osova Espino to say we can use a rama, a loophole, to take out both animals, was because there I had a way to do a ha'arama. However, but here with the fruit, that with the grains that are on the roof, I have no way of using a loophole. There's no loophole. I'm not using the food now anyways. There's no loopholes to be had. So lo, maybe he wouldn't have been so, uh, maybe he wouldn't have been so lenient like he was over here. He would have been strict. So therefore we can't compare. So now we need a, another answer. Our question is back to where we started. Again, our Mishnah here on Lamed Vav is a Mishnah that's very strict. However, the Mishnah at the beginning of Perak Mishilin says that uh, you are allowed to lower three things on Yom Tov, but not on Shabbos. So that's a stira. So now let's see answer number two, 10 lines or so from the bottom that Ella Amar Rav Papa. Rav Papa says, Lokashya, Habes Shamai, and Habes Hillel. That maybe. <coughs> The distinction between the Ein Bain Mishnah and the Mishnah at the beginning of the parak that's lenient by Yom Tov but strict by Shabbos, maybe that is party lines with Beis Shammai and Beis Elod. That's not in the Mishnah rights. And we've seen this before. Beis Shammai Omrim Ein Motzi and Loas HaKotan, Loas Alula, Loas Sefer Torah, Lerushus HaRabim. Rabbi, this is Beis Elod, this is Beis Shammai, who's very strict, and he would align with the Mishnah here on Lamed Vav of the Ein Bains. And on Yom Tov, we see that he would allow this on uh, that Basil would allow this kind of carrying on Yom Tov. So if Basil allows it, we see that there are things he allows on Yom Tov and not on Shabbos. And that aligns perfectly with the Mishnah at the beginning of the Perek of Mishilin Derech Aruba. So says the Gemara, maybe we have our, our correlated answer. And the Gemara responds, Dilma Lohi, maybe not. Maybe the only reason why Beis Shammai is strict over there is because, um, oh, sorry, I lost my line here. There he's only concerned about hotza because uh, he has some degree of concern about carrying. But there maybe uh, we, should not, uh, we should not be concerned about muksa. Who says muksa would be a problem? Maybe he would allow for the lowering of the fruits through the roof. Says the Gemara, what kind of argument is that? The whole concern about tiltal, about muksa, the whole concern is about carrying. <laughs> that's what some of the Rishonim write, and that's what the Gemara says here. You're trying to make a, to, uh, you're splitting the hairs of saying, no, 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 Beishamai was only concerned about Hotza, about, about carrying uh, in the Tchum, where there's still a, a Tchum by, uh, 
there's still a degree of tchum by, by the world of Yom Tov. That's what we were concerned about. Masha'in came by Tiltal, maybe we shouldn't be concerned. And says the Gemara, what are you talking about? The whole concern of Hotza, the whole concern of Tiltal is to prevent Hotza. So therefore you cannot separate them. It's a rhetorical question with a question mark right at the end of this, uh, of this sugya. And it ends right at the Mishnah saying that we actually do in fact have our match. So let's just review the conclusion. Our Mishnah here on Lamed Vav says, But the Mishnah at the beginning of the parak indicated, the Mishnah at the beginning of the parak indicated that there is a difference between Shabbos and Yom Tov. And therefore, uh, how do we understand this contradiction? The Gemara answers, it's party lines, Beis Shammai, Beis Hillel, and it correlates just fine. That brings us to a new Mishnah. This new Mishnah and the sugya that, that ensues is all about Chum Shabbos. We know that a person is allowed to have only up to 2,000 amos from the place that they are, are Kona Shvisa. Kona Shvisa is the language of establishing your place. So once you do that, that's great. What happens if you have two people who are Kona Shvisa and they're trying to share an item? So then if you could imagine Venn diagrams, right? The two intersecting circles. So I have a circle of my 2,000 amos and you have a circle of your 2,000 amos. If they overlap, so then can we share something in the space that overlaps? So that's going to be in part what our Mishnah is talking about. Let's get started with the Mishnah, six lines from the bottom, Lamed Zayin Amud Aleph. When we're talking about animals, when we're talking about utensils, that's Kiragle Habayla. We follow the feet of the owners. Namely, we follow the Tchum of the owners. Whatever their 2,000 Amos is, that also applies to their Behemoths. This is familiar to us in that we know that uh, we have a Shvisas Behemoth. We have a Lacha, that an animal is not allowed to do Malacha on your behalf. And even though we pask in that Tchum and on Shabbos is their Abanon, Afel Pikein, we still have a restriction that your animals cannot leave the Tchum on Shabbos. So if you have a dog, it doesn't really apply here. The Tchum is uh, outside the city limits. But if you had a dog and you lived at the city limits, so sometimes when I do these bristles in the middle of godforsaken places, the community is literally like uh, an, an oblong shape or like an amoeba-shaped community, but it's completely encased in the middle of nowhere. It's where they film movies, like the terrifying movies. And if you go from the city limits, 2,000, you cannot let your dog while, you know, run free there because he has the same Isser of Tchum Shabbos as you do, and he doesn't know the difference. You can have a very long leash. That's a 3,500-foot leash. That's pretty expensive, but it would probably do the job. So says the Gemara, when it, the Mishnah, when it comes to your animals, your utensils, they have the same halachic status as you do as it relates to Tchum Shabbos. Let's say I give my animal either to a child or to a shepherd. They're just an extension of you, and they have to follow your rules of Tchum Shabbos. Let's say there are a number of brothers, and I have a kli. It's not one that I share. It's my kli. Everybody knows it's mine, and you can't have it. So then, then that's fine. Then that kli, that animal, follows specifically that sibling, so it's filled. So then it's done. It's my Tchum Shabbos. It's not my, not my sibling's Tchum Shabbos. And if it's a Kli that everyone uses in the house, um, whatever that may be, I don't know. You got to pick a Kli that's uh, totally neutral. So then if, whatever that is, let's say an, uh, something that isn't Muksa, but the equivalent of an iPad that the family uses, right? Spoons, you take a spoon, whatever. The halacha is that it has, it has to be tethered uh, with a 2,000 foot, ma a 2,000 amma max. When it's not specific, it's the place that, that is common to everyone in the house. 
That's the Venn diagram, the overlapping Venn diagram. And then what about borrowing? Three lines from the bottom. If a person borrows a kli from their friend on Yom Tov, then that is true. Um, it's Yom Tov specifically, right? So it's five minutes before Shkia. I come over and I say, can I please borrow your, uh, can I please borrow a pot to cook a food? And you say, sure, no problem. And I bring it home. So then it's as if it's mine, Kiragle Hashoah, and it's like the borrower. However, Tov, if I come to your house on Yontiv, and then I say, hey, can I borrow a pot to cook something? That's allowed. However, because it was Tov, it's Kiragle Hamashil. Then the 2000 Amos is not dependent on you, the borrower, but it's on you, the lender, because it was done after Yomtov started. We'll see a conflicting sheet of potentially in the Gemara. Bechain, the last two lines. A woman who borrows from her friend spices and water and salt in order to make dough, because you did it on Yomtov, seemingly, uh, you are tied together with this person and whatever her Tchum Shabbos is, it's only the places that are common to both of you. Last uh, last uh, line in the Mishnah just qualifies the previous line of Yehuda Poter Bohen Mamish. Water is in Bohen Mamish. It's not something that you really look at as a food or as a Kli or as something unique by which we would then be trapped by the Venn diagram of her uh, her uh, 2000 Amos and mine and we can only be in a space that doesn't apply to water. Water doesn't have the same drive. All right, that brings us to the very last word on Lamed Zayin, and the Gemara says, Masnisen, that our Mishnah, turning to the top of Lamed Zayin in the days, is the Loki Rebbe Dosa. This is not like the opinion of Reb Dosa. Why not? What does Reb Dosa hold? Remember what we had said in our Mishnah, that if you take something from Erev Yom Tov, then it's, its guidelines of Tchum Shabbos are based on you. But if you take borrow something from someone on Yom Tov, then, the, then it has to follow the, the, the Tchum Shabbos of the lender. But Reb Dosa said something different. Reb Dosa Omer, the Amri La Abba Shaul Omer, we're not exactly sure who said it. If a person buys an animal from his friend before Yom Tov, even though, okay, so the purchase was before Yom Tov, but it wasn't delivered to you until Yom Tov itself. Even though that when Shkia kicked in, you didn't have it in your possession, we still treat it as Kiragle Ha that's different than our Mishnah. And as well, if a person gives over their animal to a shepherd, you made an agreement before Yom Tov, but if the Mesira, the giving over of the animal is only on Yom Tov, which again is not like our Mishnah, because our Mishnah seemed to have used Shkia as the determining factor. Where is the animal at Shkia? If the animal at Shkia is in the possession of the borrower, great, then the Tchum Shabbos follows you. And if it's in the uh, possession of the lender, then great, then the Tchum Shabbos follows him. But this doesn't seem to work that way. So says the Gemara, six lines down on Lamed Zayin, Amid Beis, Afilu Ribdosa. We could even say that uh, we could make Ribdosa in, in this Brisa. Again, it might also be Abba Whoever the author is, it could even fit like uh, Rebbe Dosa. In one case, we're talking about a scenario where there's only one Roa. Where there's only one Roa, where there's only one shepherd. So then it's a foregone conclusion as to what you're doing with your animal. There's only one shepherd and you're going to give the shepherd uh, your animal. So therefore, in the case of, uh, in, in the case of um, which one is it? Yeah, in the case of Ribdosa, we're going to say it's Kiragle Haroa. However, Khan Bishne Roman, our Mishnah, it's Shnei Roman, therefore, it really just depends on where you tachlis, where the animal is when Shkia kicks in. And Dekanami, this actually is Meduyak in our Mishnah, because our Mishnah said, Dekatani, live no, o Liroe. 
that uh, where that it gave two options in our Mishnah, and that's how we know that our Mishnah is talking about two possibilities of where you may give your animal, and therefore the uh, the answers are different. But really, there's no machlokas, and this must have been uh, something that uh, that Rabbi Barbarchana didn't hear. Rabbi Barbarchana was a third century Amora, late uh, early third century, late second century, because he was a Talmud of Rav Yochanan. I'm a Rabbi Barbarchana, I'm a Rav Yochanan. Halacha kirabdosa. What do you mean halacha kirabdosa? First of all, we just said that there's no machlokas. We just answered that our mission is talking about a case where there's two roim, and the case of Ribdosa was talking about a case where there's one row. So strange to start with, but the Gemara goes with a halachic argument and says, how can that be? Would Rav Yochanan really be of the opinion? Would Rav Yochanan uh, really be of the opinion that we are talking about the halacha being like Ribdosa? In general, Rav Yochanan says that if you have two Tanaic sources that are conflicting with one another, that we always, always follow the one that's anonymous as opposed to the one that has a name. And our Mishnah is Stam. So if our Mishnah is Stam and the Bryce is labeled as Ribdosa or Abishol, then we should pass him like our Mishnah. Says the Gemara, have you been paying attention? That's what we, we already said there's no machlokas. Did we not already establish that in the case of the Bryce of Abba Shaul slash Rabbi Dosa, we said that we're dealing over there with only one row. In the case of our Mishnah, we're dealing with two. There's no machlokas bichlal. You can say Rabbi Dosa, you can say Stam Mishnah, doesn't matter. There, nobody's arguing. They're just two different cases. And that is how the very strange Gemara, but it's very strange that the Gemara wasn't bothered by the fact that we just gave the answer. Nevertheless, that is how the Gemara concludes in this area. We're going to continue this, Sugya, with the following scenario, about a third of the way down on Lamed Zayin, based Rabbanon. So you and I borrow a garment. It's raining. And uh, you davened early, right? So you wore the garment on the way to Shachris. And we agreed that I would wear the garment on the way home from Shachris. So we're splitting it today. How does that play out with Tchum Shabbos? So it says the Gemara, in such a case, one of them wanted to use it in the morning to go to the base Medrash. Whatever, the, however, the Gemara points, just, just highlighting that each of you are splitting the use of this particular uh, garment. You set your Eruv to the north. And I set my Eruv to the south. Namely, we don't necessarily have a lot of overlapping space of our Eruvin, of our Tchum. So what should we do with the coat? I can only wear it so far, says the Gemara. The person who set their Eruv up to the north, yes, you can walk northbound. However, only Karagme Misha'ir it's Venn diagram. You can only walk in the space that is equal, that is common to both people. And therefore, yes, you can walk north, but only as far as the person who, uh, who, who took his Erev to the south could walk north. And the other way is also true. Mahalich, uh, and then, and the one who made an Erev to the south, he can also be Mahalich Ladarm. He can also walk toward his home, but only Karagli Mishirev Alav Batsafo until you're stuck. What if you made the tchumen as far apart as possible and you're still trying to borrow the garment? So says the Gemara, if you stretched out the tchum to the point that there is no Venn diagram, it's two circles that just don't overlap, you're stuck. Unbelievable. 
because your garments are so much a part of you and they have the same halachic status as a tchum, so you're stuck. This garment cannot be moved. It has to stay exactly where it is. You will get soaked in the rain and there's nothing you can do about it. And we're exactly halfway down the last of the short lines, Itmar. Let's talk about a case of you have two people who took partnership over a barrel of wine and of an animal. Now a barrel of wine is unique in that you can literally pour out half into another container and take some home for Shabbos. So that can be so that can be split up, an animal less so until it's shechted. So says the Gemara, how do we treat this partnership of a barrel of wine and an animal as it relates to Tchum Shabbos? So Rav Amar, this is a machlokas. Rav says, Chavis Muteres, there's no problem with the Chavis. Everyone can take whatever they need. asura. But there is a problem with the Behema. That's going to be problematic. He says, no, everything is problematic. We all have all the same halachos as it relates to Tchum Shabbos. And it doesn't matter that there's a Behema or that there's a Chavis. Now, Shmuel's answer is at least consistent across the board. But Rav's is not. So the Gemara asks on Rav, Rav, what is Rav Shita? If what you're saying is that the reason why the wine is permissible to be parsed out and why there's no concern of Tchum Shabbos, when person A takes his wine home and person B takes his wine home, we don't care about Tchum Shabbos. So we, that's Brera. We didn't know which molecules of wine was going to be in person A's jug. And we had no idea. It's Brera. He took it now. It's a retroactive decision to before as though it was already his from before Shabbos. But if you believe in Brera, then I feel the Tishtere. And whenever we cut parts of the animal, the same exact thing should be tr- true. Because of our ain Brera. And if you say that Rav is of the opinion that we do not allow for retroactive decision-making, if that's true, then I feel the you can't have it both ways. Rav Shita is very complicated. So the Gemara answers three lines into the wide lines. Le'olam, really, Rav holds kasavra yesh brera. Really, he does hold a brera. So that means we understand the case of chavis. What, what about the animal? Veshanya behema deka yanke tchumen mehadade. Because the animal benefits from all of the tchumen. They graze everywhere. Uh, they don't have a lot of, during the week, they're parts of, of the different parts of the land. They're all, it's not like so controlled. They're like eating all over the place. So therefore the animal is a little bit different. So here Rav Kahana and Rav Asi ask a question to Rav. They were Talmidim of Rav, second century. And Rav was a first century, very early, I'm or the earliest of them. I see that you're concerned about Tchumen, but I don't see that you're concerned about Muksa. Why are you not concerned about Muksa when it comes to these case scenarios? So it says the Gemara, Shasik Rav, he didn't respond. And we know that uh, when a person is silent, omission uh, is not always a proof, but sometimes it is. Do we say, The Gemara doesn't give this in, in this language, but effectively that's what's going on here. We don't know what Rav's silence meant. So the Gemara tries to uh, posit, what taka is the din? What does Rav hold? So Rav Hoshaya Amar Yesh Brera. He really holds that Yesh Brera. But Rav Yochanan Amar Ein Brera. And Rav Yochanan says that there's a is how to understand Rav. Says the Gemara, you just wanted to say that Rav Hoshia holds of the Yesh Brera, that we allow for retroactive halachic decision-making. That's not true. The Gemara says two-thirds of the way down, about six, seven lines into the wide lines. The Savar of Hoshia Yesh Brera, does he really hold of this principle? That's not. We've seen this Mishnah a number of times. The Mishnah writes, 
a person dies in a house. Below and in that house, there are a lot of exits because we don't know which exit the mace will exit through. Therefore, all of the doorways are exit. Uh, all of the doorways are exits, that's true. And all of, the, uh, all of that which is within the door jam is going to be considered tame. So uh, whatever, just imagine a door jam like this on the outside of the door, but still under the door jam. If there's a mace, then it, whatever's under the door jam will become time because we don't know where the, where the mace is going to exit from. That's the basic din of the Mishnah. Now, niftach echad mehen, if when you saw the person was about to die, you opened one of the doors, clearly indicating where you planned on taking the mace out of the house. So then, who Then only that doorway would be, would be tame. And you got a newspaper under there, whatever you have under there, that all becomes tame. What if you only thought about it? You knew the person was going to die. In your head, you're like front door, back door, right? So you decided in your head, or through a window, or through a window that has four by four, uh, that at least that amount of size, which we assume is the minimal amount of size to bring a mace out of a house that's not very big, four by four tefachim. What is that? Sixteen inches. That's a that's tiny. That's, you still it's a yeah, but it's time. Just saying, you're talking about a very small human being. Sixteen inches is less than the span of my hand. <laughs> they have a skeleton. That just push them through. It's not like a mice that they can you know the size of a quarter. You know, maybe we should take them swimming. So the Gemara says that uh, that this, if a person is chishev, if you thought about that door, then that actually helps a lot. Um, that works. And that prevents all of the other doors from becoming tummy. You, you have to think about it before the person dies. And Beishelel says you can't think about it after. He, uh, you, you can even think about it after he dies, and that will be sufficient. And here's where we get back to what we said. Remember, we had said earlier that Rav Hoshia had said that he held a brera. So it says the Gemara, what does Rav Hoshia say about this case? Even according to Beis Hillel, when Beis Hillel says that you thought about which door you were going to take the mace out of even after he died, okay, so now that you thought about it, now what? So Rav Hoshia looks at the Shita of Beis Hillel and says, he doesn't mean retroactively. He just means mikanu lehaba. So let's say the mace dies at 901. And your chishev, you decide at 9.10 that you're going to take the mace out of door X. So, okay. So everything that was there up until 9.10 is going to be tummy. That's what Hoshia says, which shows that he doesn't hold a brera. Because if he held a brera, then we would retroactively take that door and go back to the time uh, to prior of the death and say that there should be no tuma. So we see the Hoshia doesn't hold a brera. So answers the Gemara, you're absolutely right. Six lines from the bottom on Lamed Zayin and Bez Epoch, we need to reverse the Shittas. Really, Rav Hoshia did not say Yesh Brera, really Omar Ein Brera, the Rav Yochanan Omar Yesh Brera. We got the Shittas wrong, and really, we're not sure what Rav said, Machlokas, but uh, but basically Rav Yochanan is the one who says Yesh Brera. Says the Gemara, that can't be either. Umi Islay the Rav Yochanan Brera. Rav Yochanan doesn't hold a brera. The Amar Avasi, Amar Rav Yochanan. Rav Asi says in the name of Rav Yochanan, Ha'achin shechilku l'kuchosein. If there are brothers who are taking an inheritance upon the petira of their uh, of their father, so then in that case, l'kuchosein, they're considered to be purchasers of the property. L'may nafkemina, u'machzirin zelo zebi yovel. Wow. 
that's uh, right. The pasuk says in Chumash that when it comes to Yovel, Ishel Nishbachto Tashuba, all the houses have to go back to where they came from. So if you treat the brothers and their inheritance as a halachic Yerusha Mamish, okay, then nothing goes back at the Yovel. But if in fact we treat them as Lakuchos, as though they're buyers of the home of their father, then everything has to go back at the beginning of the cycle. At the end of, at the, end of the Yovel cycle, they all have to go back and uh, look at the house again, reassess the cost of the house and divide and conquer financially. You're not going to cut the house in half. So if you want to say, uh, oh, and therefore we have a question against Rav Yochanan because this, this shows that Rav Yochanan does not hold of Brera, because if you would have held it Brera, then we wouldn't have said you have to give it back at Yovel. The Chitema, if you want to say that the way to get out of this is that Kiles Leila Rav Yochanan Brera Bideo Raisa, really Mideo Raisa Rav Yochanan doesn't hold the Brera of Abedra Bonan Isle, and really he does hold it. That would solve the problem, because there at least we have some scenario in which Rav Yochanan holds a Brera, says the Gemara, that's not true either. Uvidra Bonan, even with Dine de Rabbonan, me Isle. Does Rav Yochanan even hold of Brera by Dine de Rabbanon? The Hatani, we learned in Abraisa. Ayo, Ayo taught us, we've learned this person's name before. He's a Tana. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, he taught us, Ein Adam Masne al Dvarm Ke'echad, that when it comes to placing an Eruv, that one is not allowed to make a double condition. So you're allowed to have some type of condition from before Shabbos. You put up to Eruvin. You don't know where the Talmud Chacham is coming from to give Shir. He might be coming from the east. He might be coming from the west. Once the Talmud Chacham shows up on Shabbos, that's your Eruvin. You cannot, you can't benefit from both Eruvin. So, but you can't say, I get to go get 2,000 to the east and 2,000 to the west. You got to pick one. So as we turn to the top of Daf Lamed Ches when we analyze this, what's the reason why that you can't have both 2,000 amos to the east and 2,000 amos to the left? Because that's uh, that's the Ein Brera, because he doesn't hold a Brera. So therefore, So therefore, it seems that even by Adin de Rabbanon, there's no Brera. He says, the way that we understand the sugya is that really the Chacham showed up before Shabbos. You just didn't know that. You just didn't know that. But had you known then it would have been an Isser Darabonon. We don't allow for that. So we see that even by Din Darabonon, he doesn't hold of that. Alma less lay, Rav Yochanan Breira, question is back as it started, which is that we don't know who holds Yesh Breira or Ein Breira. Is it Rav Hoshia or is it Rav Yochanan? So says the Gemara, Elalolam, fourth line, Lo don't switch the sheet. It's really Rav Hoshia was the one who holds Yesh Breira. And Rav Yochanan holds Ein Breira. V'chiles later, Rav Hoshia Breira. This answer we can give for Rav Hoshia, which is that Bideo Raisa. He says that Bideo Raisa of Abed Rabbanon Isle. Bideo Raisa, Rav Hoshia holds that there is no Breira at all. But Bideo Rabbanon, he does hold the Breira. And that actually works. So now this is a little uh, nuanced and confusing, but I'll just summarize. We were a little concerned about what Rav held. And it seems from the Gemara that Rav uh, within the world of Rav Hoshia holds that yes, we do have Breira, but only Bedine de Rabbanon and not Bedine de Oraisa. Dorash Marzutra, Halachik Rav Hoshia. And Rav Hoshia was right. So that's seemingly, again, if we were if we were post-game and we had the Paskin from the Gemara, it would seem that we would hold that Mide Oraisa, there's no such thing as Breira, but Mide Rabbanon, there is such thing as Breira. And one last sugya that's connected but doesn't flow with the Shakla Vitarya, six line down on Laman Ches and Aleph, Amar Shmuel Shor Shel Patim, a 
Apatim is a person who fattens animals. Harehu keragle kol adam. It belongs to the to the person who owns it. Sure, shall haroa shall roa that of a of a shepherd. Harehu keragle osoir. It's like the ones who live in the city. Uh, and let, that brings us to the two dots about a third of the way down. We're just going to go a few more lines and then we'll stop for the day. We said that if a person borrows a cleave from before Yom Tov, that it belongs to him. And the Gemara says that's obvious. We know that a shol, a shol is chayv even uh, is a very high standard of shmira. So of course it's going to be his to the point that we would assume Tchum Shabbos is based on him. That's obvious. Pshita. So answers the Gemara. Lo lo Yom Tov. No. He borrowed it. He did whatever Kenyan that he did from before the holiday began, but it only showed up at his house after after Tzais happened. So that's the case that we had to, to create as a Chiddush, that that works. And the next case the Gemara presents is, uh, uh, sorry, then the Gemara explains. Maudetema la birshuse ukmei we would have said that at Shkia wasn't in his property, Kamash Malan, that we consider it in his property at that time because the Kenyan was already done for, for the She'ela, for the borrowing. This also works out for Rav Yochanan. Even though he only received it on Yom Tov, it's as if it belongs to the Shoah. So as long as your Kenyan took place beforehand, you're good to go. And then we follow your Tchum and not the of the mashil of the lender. Last little sugya for the night. We said that if a person borrows something on Yom Tov, then it's as if it belongs to the lender. Says the Gemara, very good. Pshita, the whole transaction started on Yom Tov. Of course, that should be the case that it's not the tchum of the borrower, but rather the tchum of the lender. No, every year he borrows from this guy. Every single year. It's that guy. It's that neighbor who constantly knocks on your door. Hey, hey I'm back again. And it's understood that you're going to borrow from him. So says the Gemara, you might have thought that uh, we treat it as though it's in his property, even though he has yet to borrow it, because he has a chazaka, as it were, to borrow. That we do not apply a chazaka in this case at all. We would argue, maybe he'll find somebody else to borrow from. He'll borrow from another, another person. So you might have had a habamina that because you're a regular to borrow, therefore we assume that you're going to borrow again. And the Gemara says, absolutely not. Until you actually borrow, uh, nothing to talk about. Um, if you are going to be joining for the CM, please send things in before Shabbos just so I can have a proper count. Um, and I will ensure that uh, all of the food shows up here on time. Wishing you all a beautiful Shabbos.